So tell me your story. That is actually one of the, the favorite things I have to say to people. It's one of the favorite things I, 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 I say to people is, tell me your story, because I love a good story. And you know, I, I have said that probably hundreds and hundreds of times uh, to different people in different contexts and different situations. Sometimes they came to talk to me, sometimes I came to talk to them. Sometimes they know I'm a pastor, sometimes they don't. But, but, but I just love to hear people's story because, you know, here's the deal. God is a storyteller. And, and very often, he reveals the coolest things about himself by simply telling a story. And, and here's the thing I want you to understand, is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, all right, if you are a, a person who has recognized that he was sent from God, that he was sent from God to teach you a better way to live, to to show you what it really meant to be a human being, to to come and to to die on a cross, to take away your sins so those things wouldn't be holding you down anymore, to to give you this person of the Holy Spirit and start making changes in your life, sometimes quick, sometimes slow, sometimes messy, sometimes it feels like the changes are taking forever, but the changes are happening. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ who has a hope that someday... I have a transformation waiting for me that's going to last and continue on for eternity. If if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then listen, listen, listen. Okay? Listen, listen, listen. You are a story that God is trying to tell. You are a story that is, is, is given by God to be told to someone at some time, at a crucial time, that's going to make all the difference in the world. You know, one of the coolest things about the way that Jesus came to earth is he came telling stories. And he told stories, you know, that were everyday stories, stories that people could relate with. He rarely told, you know, big, grandiose stories about, you know, far-off places and kings and dramatic things. He told stories about everyday things like farming and and fishing and and two brothers and and a guy who had a couple sons and a guy who had a business and worked it this way. And and he told the stories in, in such a way that it encaptured people. And so God invests a special kind of power in stories. And all of us like the really flashy stories, but the stories that God really has invested his power in is the everyday story of a person who's on a journey to seek to know and love Jesus Christ. Your story is important. It has power. And it's, 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 it's calling to be told. Now, we're in this series called Limitless. We're getting ready to, to jump into an amazing study. I'm going to tell you about that here this next week. It's kind of, this series is meant to kind of set up the series that is coming. But we're in this series about Limitless. And we're talking about how the story of God, which is the story he wants to connect your story to, the story of God, which is God so loved the world that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him can have their whole life changed and their whole eternity changed, and they can live forever and they'll never die. That, that, that story that, that God is telling, he's trying to tell it to us, and he's entrusted it to us. And, and, and here's the deal. He wants that story to be told to every person, everywhere, at every time, in every country, no matter what they've done, how far they've gone, or the color of their skin, or whatever, he wants that story told to them. And his plan to tell his story is for you and for me and his church to tell that story. And here's the deal. There's no plan B. I mean, this is his, his, his plan. And, and it's a good plan. 
Because he will tell his story usually through telling your story. And so one of the, the things I really want you to get today is that you've got a story to tell. Now, now we've been talking about this, this story that's been entrusted to us, the story of God, and, and, and we've been saying that it's a limitless story. And, and very often it doesn't get to all the places it's supposed to get because we put limits on it. God doesn't put limits on it, but we put limits on it. We've been talking about some of the, the limits that have been put on it. You know, when we leave it to the professionals, we've talked about that. How, when they, that's the pastor's job or the missionary's job. That's when it gets limit, limited. When, when we take it out of what we do every day, that is to say when we make it, you know what, I do that, that telling story thing, but I do it when I go on a mission trip or, or when I go, you know, volunteer over here, over here. But instead of bringing it to where I live and breathe and go to school every single day. And, and we limit it to, third way we limit it, it's when we make it just a Lone Ranger thing. That there are certain people who are just, thinking of themselves, I guess they're evangelists and they go out and it's just about me going and doing it in a way that, that is not natural to me and, and all by myself. And, and we don't do it within the context of the church. And, and, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. But what I want you to see is that your story has power. Now, now we're going to look at several passages of scriptures. And, and these are some things that Jesus said to us so that we would understand how crucial we are to his plan. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, now if the salt loses its taste, how shall it be its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. So he's saying, you're the salt of the earth. You know, in ancient times, in the time of Jesus, salt was a very rare thing. It was a very valuable thing. It was actually used as currency because having salt was an issue of life and death. If you didn't have salt, you couldn't preserve things. Uh, You couldn't flavor things. And, And it was actually used as a source of money. And so this idea of saying that you are the salt of the earth is saying that you're incredibly valuable. You're incredibly crucial. You, you've been entrusted with something that's life and death. And here's the deal. It's not life and death just for like on earth. It's life and death for etern- eternity. And, and so he says, if you're, you're, you're called to be salt of the earth and somehow or another you lose that saltiness, well, then, really, you've lost your purpose. You've lost your drive. It's really that, that there's, there's no value in how you're living. It's just useless to be thrown out and trampled. You know, the funny thing about salt is that salt can't actually lose its saltiness. Salt, by definition, is going to be salty. It's a chemical thing. But what would happen is that salt would lose its saltiness, in their understanding, when it would get polluted. When it would get mixed with other things, with some, some dirt or some sand or some other things, so that the salt became less and less salty. See, salt, one of the things characteristics is that salt's supposed to make people thirsty. And, and when we're living in a salty way, when we're sharing our story in a salty way, it attracts people to God. It attracts people to, you know, the things of God. That's why it's important we fill our lives with God, because it makes us salty. It makes people who are thirsting for God drawn to God. But when we fill our lives with all kinds of other things other than God, well, our saltiness kind of goes down. Now, he goes on and gives another illustration. He says, you are the light of the world. That's a pretty dark world out there, isn't it? I mean, and, 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 and you know, darkness is a terrifying thing. It's disorienting. And, and people say, I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of the things in the dark I can't see. And so when you're really in the dark to get light, and, and this illustration of light is one of the most 
precious illustrations in the Bible because, because it, it just gives clarity, it gives hope, it gives comfort. And, and he says, when, when, when you should understand yourself as the light of the world, he said, a city um, on a hill can't be hidden. He said, you're meant to be a city that, that, that is up and say, okay, now that I see the city, I, I know which way to go. It's supposed to be a, a beacon of hill, uh, hope. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives life to all who are in the house. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good life, your good works, the change that are taking place in you, and they would give your Father glory who is in heaven. He says, so your light is meant to shine. Your life is meant to shine in such a way that people are drawn to God. See, you've got a story that needs to be told, and when people see it, it draws people to God. Now you say, you don't understand, my life's got a lot of messed up stuff in it. I'm not that far away in the journey. That actually is more compelling to people than the people who have it all figured out. I mean, those stories, you know, of those people just, you know, pristine and they're kind of faking it and they got it all together, that's not compelling. But the story of a person who's saying, you know, I was really broken and I've come to follow Jesus and I'm still pretty broken, but I'm on my way to whole. That's a compelling story. And if your story is something like that, well, then it's got all kinds of power. It has the ability to take people who are in the darkness of of addiction, that have the darkness of materialism, of selfishness, of ignorance, of racism, of all the other sins that wrap us up and own us. It has the ability to shine into their light that they could see what that is and leave it behind and, and change it. And it happens... When, when we understand that we're God's plan. We're called to be the salt and the light. But it, but it doesn't stop there. He gives another illustration to really, again, give us an understanding of how this is supposed to work. In Matthew chapter 13, we read about another parable that helps us understand how crucial we are in, in this, this plan to make the gospel limitless. He says, it says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in the field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the other garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can make their nest in its branches. And so here's the deal. He says, it, what you need to understand about your role is that you say, you know what? I can't imagine God doing anything with my story, with my contribution, with my involvement. And this is the principle. God takes the little things we do, and he causes them to grow bigger than we ever thought. So he says, if you plant all your garden plants, the mustard seed, super duper tiny. But from that little seed, incredible things happen. From that little seed of telling your story and, 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 and reaching out to people, inviting them to come and to hear about who Christ is, that changes absolutely everything. He doesn't stop there. He gives another parable. He says, he told them another parable in verse 33. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. And so what he's describing here is leaven or yeast. And, and, and basically he says, what's going on here is you take this little piece of, of leavened dough. And that, that is, in their understanding, was a little piece of dough that has yeast in it. And he says, you take the yeast and, and you put it in a big pile of of bread and you mix it in and what happens well we know that yeast is a living thing it starts to spread it starts to take over and slowly over time it just becomes this incredible uh miracle that the entire loaf then becomes something that can rise and have leaven and yeast in it in fact you could cut it up into little pieces you could add it to other bread 
and other flower, and it can continue to grow and grow. He says that's what the kingdom of God is like. It touches, and then it grows and spreads slowly into a person's life. Now, for many of us, that's our story of how we started coming to Christ. I I remember uh, my story of coming to Christ, and, and for me, it wasn't one person had a big conversation with me, and wow, I just understood it. There is a host of people, I'm talking like a hundred people, who were part of me understanding Christ in my life. And each one of them were like, like a, a piece of that dough that, that touched my life. It was the, 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 the family that would pick me up on Sunday morning and drive me to church because I was a teenager who didn't have a car. It was, it was uh, the, 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 the person I was dating at the time who, who bought me a Bible and, and we started reading the Bible. It was, it was the person who, who was my youth group leader and not my youth group pastor but my youth group leader because we didn't have a youth group pastor because we were just a small church. This was just an ordinary person who invested in me. It was the chairman of the deacons who met with me and talked to me about what it was like to grow up Catholic and how that worked and who Jesus was. It was the people who were patient with me when I said silly things and made mistakes. It was a Sunday school teacher. It was a pastor who took me out one day and explained to me the simple message of the gospel. And he's the one who takes credit because that was the day I prayed and said a prayer. And it was a, a cool thing. But the truth is, it was all those people that, that touched my life until it started spreading slowly into every aspect of my life. See, that's the way the kingdom of God, it's the little things. That's what's beautiful about a place like Jacob's Well. Is that whenever a person comes who is far away from God, and and usually when a person rolls in here, something has happened in their life, you know, to say, you know what, I need something more. And I've heard about some of these people at Jacob's Well, i got to go check it out. Or, Or usually what it is is some person says, hey, you're going through a lot right now. You should come check out my church. It's a really good church. The pastor talks really way too fast. But you'll get used to that and it'll be all right. All right, you can't fall asleep during one of his sermons. That's one of the good things. But here's the deal. You could come, and they roll in here, and, and they're kind of nervous. And you know what? Someone greets them at the door. A little thing. A little bit of yeast. A, a seed that was planted. And that person has already prayed and prayed for all the people who are coming. And actually, there have been people praying all week for the service and that coming. And, and then they walk up, and there's someone at the connection desk who can just see that kind of new person look in their eye, and they say, hey, come here. And they say, well, you know, meet them, and, and they can help them get connected and answer some questions. And then just someone who maybe doesn't even have an official position this weekend just walks up and says, "You, hey, you come sit with me. And, and, and they sit down, and maybe they have kids, and someone walks them down, and there's someone at the registration desk who is so patient and so kind, and someone else walks their kid to these incredible classrooms. That someone came in and cleaned all week long and 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 then then they are taught and there's someone doing worship for the kids and they come in here and there's worship and there's teaching and there's a million other things and they go to new here and they hear about all these opportunities look at this preview and they say i just went through a divorce or you know what i've got grief or you know what i want to do that group or you know i'll try that group and all of a sudden all kinds of people little things are spreading. It's the seeds that are planted. We use that term and it almost loses its meaning because we use it so much. We talk about, we're just planting seeds. Well, yeah, we're planting seeds, but they grow to become something amazing. And every time a seed is planted, every time a person is touched by the love of Christ, you know, a person who was far away from God, maybe at some time, maybe in college, they were hostile towards God, and then life showed up, 
and they realized they needed God. Maybe they even come up with their cynicism. Maybe they had to meet with one of you guys who really likes to study the, the details of the Bible and apologetics. And you were able to answer so many of their questions. And this is a person who became a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, whenever we have baptisms here at Jesus uh, at, at, at Jacob's well, it's not that the person just decided one day and said, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ and get baptized. It's a story. It's an incredible story of a person who was in darkness, who came to light, who had lost hope, who had found hope. It's a story of a person who was far away from God, who is now knowing God. A person who was an enemy of God, the Bible says, who now is a son or a daughter of God. And so every time I see one of these baptisms, I mean, I, I, you know, there's a reason they have somebody else read the testimonies. Because I, it'd take so much longer because I don't stop crying. Part of that is because I see how so many of you have your fingerprints on that life and how the Church of Jesus Christ becomes this beautiful place when life to life we touch. You know, there's one characteristic of, 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 of yeast that is required for it to work. It has to touch the thing it's going to spread to. You can't put yeast in this part of the house and expect it to get the bread over here. You have to mix it together. And see, that's part of God's plan. You're the yeast. You're the person who is full of the message of Christ and the story of Christ that's put all out there this weekend. I work here, you know. Not a lot of lost people come up and knock on the door and say, hey, how then can I be saved? Not a lot of that happens throughout the week. But you're with people all week long who you could touch and the yeast could spread in ways that could absolutely transform life. Could like you telling their story or your story, are you listening to their story? Could look like you telling God's story. Could look like something as easy as just inviting them to your group or to an activity or, or to church. It's the most beautiful thing. See, this is what the church is all about. The church is all meant to be about a place where we gather up and get fired up and then get scattered. See, we're, we're the church right now gathered in Jesus Christ's name. At the end of church, you're going to drive out the driveway. Guess what? You're still the church. But you're the church scattered throughout the community. Listen to what Jesus said about his church. He's talking to this guy by the name of Peter who just declared his faith in Christ. And and Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal to you who I am. So Jesus said, God revealed this to you. He said, But my Father who is in heaven showed you who I am. He says, And I tell you that are Peter and you are the rock, and you're the rock because you're declaring your faith. And he says, Upon this rock I will build my church the the rock of the declaration of faith I will build my church and look at this the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and so this is a, one of the most misunderstood uh, uh, passages of scriptures in the Bible because so many times we get the idea that what Jesus is saying here is Peter you know what our church is going to be strong we're going to build a big fortress and we're going to build a big moat we're going to build a big gate and the devil's not going to be able to come against our gate but that's not what it says is it it doesn't say that the devil's not going to be able to knock in our gate. It says we're going to go knock in his gate. Do you see that? That the church is not supposed to be a group of people who just get together and take care of themselves and all this kind of thing and, and shore up and just do for themselves. The church is supposed to be an expanding, a growing thing, a thing that recognizes that right now there are people in our community that we work with, that we go to school with, who are without God and without hope. Without God and without hope. That's what the Bible says. And we have been given this, this incredible treasure, he says, in clay jars. Like, we're the clay jars. We're fragile, we're broken, but we're full of this incredible story of God. And he says, we're being sent out to share this message in the most beautiful and the most 
profound way. And when we do that, when we stand on our declaration of faith that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior, and we're going to follow him, and we bring that forward with love and with a transformed life, man, nothing can stand against that. He goes on to say, he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He says, I'm going to give you power. So you have the keys to the kingdom. The keys, it's a metaphor, it's an image in the Bible for the knowledge of God. He says, I'm giving you the keys. You can unlock things. You can set things free, you know, and dark things. You can lock them up with the truth, with the knowledge of God. And so God has given us this incredible power, this incredible calling, this incredible gifting. You're the plan. And he's given you the Holy Spirit, and he's given you the power, and he's given you a story that's meant to be told in the most wonderful way. And so, so what do you need to do? Well, you just need to start where you're at. One more verse, I would say. One more thing Jesus said in Acts chapter 1-8. He says, but you will receive power. That just needs to stop there for a minute. Grant hit this a couple of weeks ago beautifully. But let me just hit it again. You probably forgot. But this is not about you pulling yourself over your bootstraps and doing your best job. This is about you saying, God, I'm scared to death to share my story. And God, you know what? This whole culture seems like it'll just yell at me and shame me and it'll hurt me and say terrible things to me and mill me mind my own business and all this other kinds of things. I'm just scared to death to share. But here's the deal. We will receive power. And it will be the power of confidence. It will be the power of effectiveness. Paul, I'm not like you. I can't talk really fast, and, and I'm not articulate. You are. Listen, listen. Jesus said, when you go before kings and emperors, don't worry, I'll give you words. And, and it is the most amazing experience, if you've never had it, to be sharing your faith with someone, and you just feel the power of God in your life. You're sharing your story, and you're saying things you didn't know you knew. And you recognize, this is not me. God's at work. And, and, and I have never talked anyone into believing in Jesus. Now, I've been used by God to tell my story, and then the Holy Spirit meets that person and connects their story, my story to their story, and then we can connect their story to God's story. You will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. First, in Jerusalem. And in what's Jerusalem? Jerusalem was where they are at. And what's Jerusalem for you and me? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where you go to school. It's where you work. It's, it's your family. It, it's, it's the place you're supposed to live. It, it's the place where, where you worship. And when you understand that your job, your schooling, where you live, your family, is not an accident, it's so much more than that, well, then you start taking a huge step towards, towards discovering a life of joy and excitement. You want to experience more of God? Then get involved in helping people who are far away from God get close to God. Because I tell you what, it'll make you pray. It'll make you seek God. It'll make you seek out brothers and sisters who are doing it because you're not going to want to do it alone. And, and, and that's what we're, we're doing when we're, we're, we're having this conference called Work is Worship. It's this and so much more. And I just want to show you a little video about this conference that's coming up. Um, that's not for pastors. It's really not for church guys. It's for everyday folks doing everyday things. Let's take a look. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. 
It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. There's just so much that excites me about this one day workshop. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's connecting what you spend the majority of your life doing, connecting your passions to who your God is and your passion for God. And, and, and there's so much. I mean, I just want to jump up and, and, and encourage you to come. I actually want to talk, if you're a business owner and you want to try to help your employees get a better attitude, get a better perspective, this would be a great thing to send them to. So, so it's a Friday, it's coming, you can register online, all the information, you know, is um, um, in the preview, but this is going to be huge. And it's not about, listen, it's not about you becoming that person who does a lousy job with their job and going around and talking about Jesus all the time. Do not be that guy, okay? Do not be that guy, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something real, authentic. You learning how to be you and tell your story about who Christ is in a way that makes sense for you, a way that's natural, a way that's authentic, a way that's actually really cool. And so I want to give you some steps to get you started. The first thing I want to challenge you to do is I want to challenge you to actually write your story. You know what? Maybe you'll just bullet point it. Maybe one of those people will actually write it down. You want to write it for so many reasons. One, you want to write it for your kids because they don't care maybe right now, but they will care. I'm doing my family tree right now, and I am just like ridiculously passionate of finding any trace of genealogy evidence for my family. I just want to know my grandparents were, my parents were, and what they believe. And I'm finding evidence of faith all over the place with tears. It's just the most beautiful thing. And again, your kids may not care, but you should write it down because someday they're going to care. And it may be a crucial time in their story. And don't wait to tell them. You might just share it with them. I'll talk about that in a minute. But, but write your story, okay? It'll be good for you too. 
It'll help focus your life. It'll help you see what you value and what's important, who Christ is in you. Maybe shake off some things that maybe need to be shaken out of your life. Second thing I want to do, I want to encourage you to do what I challenged you to do last week. I hope you did it. I want you to pray for three people. I want you to just begin to pray. Pray for people. And, and maybe it's just someone God put on your heart. They're just for some reason, you love this person. You don't even know why. Everybody else maybe thinks they're the jerk and an idiot, but you love them. And you're supposed to pray for them. Find three people to pray. Maybe some of you know, well, not at all, or, or, or just you know, family member or something. Just three people who you think maybe are far away from God, are, are coming towards God, or need God, but don't know God yet. Pray for three people. The third thing is look for an opportunity to tell your story. Just look for an opportunity. That, that could be something. You know, a good place to practice is in your small group. If your small group's kind of dull, take some night or a couple nights for everybody in the group to tell their story. You know, because automatically it just goes up to say, well, this is how I started becoming a Christian, or so I raised him in church, or this is my story. Just ask the question, so what's your story? So what's your story? And you start getting to know each other in the most beautiful way, and then take the opportunity to, to, to tell your story um, um, in, in other places. If you have a friend at work, and one of the best things I find to do is get interested in them first. Tell me your story. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up going to church? And it becomes a conversation. It doesn't become like something you're trying to talk them into. It's authentic. It's real. The second thing is learn to tell God's story. Just learn a simple way of understanding what the cross is about and, and, and how people, when they put their faith and trust in the cross, you know, everything can change. The third thing you might do is just invite someone. You might invite someone to church. You might invite them to work as worship. You might invite them to an event or a small group. But one of the most powerful things you can do that's authentic to many of you is to invite, you know. Um, one of the coolest things that happened is Peter, the guy we just ran about, he was invited by his younger brother to come meet Jesus. He said, come, come check this out. You got to see this guy. Just come see this guy. And that is powerful. When you start becoming part of that and intentionally trying to help people who are far away from God come to God for the love of God, my goodness, it absolutely changes everything. So again, next steps, write your story, pray for three. A couple other things I want to let you know about. We have a worship night coming up. Okay, so this Friday night, we've got an incredible night of worship as we get ready to launch into our study in the book of Esther, which is going to be fabulous. Esther is one of the most exciting books in the entire Bible. It truly is. It is a page turner. It truly is. And, and we're going to look at it closely because a lot of people think they know the story of Esther, but when you really go and look at it, there's a couple, dang, that's in the Bible kind of moments. So we're going to do that, and we're getting ready to do that, but we're going to start with a night of worship and calling out to God um, this, this coming uh, next Friday night. Uh, you want to register for Workers' Worship? I want to challenge you to do that. And the third thing I want you to do is to start signing up. This is a small group rally um, for small groups in general. You may be in a place where, you know what, I need to do Ramsey or I need to do a grief group. I need to do divorce recovery. I maybe need to celebrate recovery. But to tell you what, if you are looking for a group, this is a great group to get in because we've written the curriculum for our Esther series. We don't have the curriculum here this week. We'll have it for you next week as we kick off. If you're a small group leader, you'll get your material Tuesday night at the training. But this is something we're doing all through as an entire church, and it's just going to be an awful lot of fun. There is stuff in here that will absolutely change your life. It'll change your life in ways that you will move from a life of just kind of punching the clock and doing your thing to a life of meaning and significance through the example of this incredible book and this incredible hero in the Bible, this person by the name of Esther. And so those are some steps that I want you to take. We're going to end our time with a song. Um, And this song is so wonderful. I'm going to invite the team to come out as we take up our offering. And as they come out, this is a song about commissioning. And, And what I want you to understand is usually when we commission someone, 
You know, we commission someone for a mission. Military commissions people. Uh, churches, you know, we commission, pa- commission pastors. Go be pastors. We commission missionaries. All that's fine and dandy. But I just want you to understand, you're commissioned. You are in a strategic place where no one else in the history of the world has been or will be placed. You are God's plan. And and you have a story. And if you would take the time, just one of these steps, start to pray, do work as worship, start this thing of, of, of just writing your story, well, then God would put you in places where you'd have opportunities to be part of his work. And I tell you what, it's just cool because... The simple fact of the matter is God gets a whole lot more real when you join him in the work that he's doing. 